0: I've been thinking about how to introduce you and how to start, but I'm also kind of just like, maybe it's better if we just like, I don't want to pretend, you know, I don't want to be like, this is my guest today.
1: Also, I don't think I'm like qualified in any field or (laughs) an expert in any knowledge that I can reasonably be called a guest.
0: Welcome to another episode of Bronco Busters, a podcast sharing the stories of women and queer people in pro wrestling. My name is Erin. In this episode, you'll meet my friend, Jackie Picconi. Jackie is in many ways my wrestling soulmate. We met in my first year of uni, just as I was re-entering the world of pro wrestling. Somehow, I was able to wrangle Jackie back in through uncovering a collection of shared childhood memories we'll be talking about what exactly hooked us back in, looking back at some of the recent steps made for women's wrestling and picking apart some of our favourite characters and genres. I wanted to bring you on to the podcast because I wanted to kind of set the scene for people who don't... Wrestling? <laughs> Where they're like, what's that? I don't understand. Because I think you're a good case study for someone who like grew up watching it fell out of it, and then dived back in again at, like, 150 miles an hour. Yeah, it's
1: ruined my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and for that I can only apologise. It's completely my fault.
1: It is 100% your fault, actually. (laughs) Because I don't think I would have gotten back into it if I hadn't met you.
0: No. Yeah, so I am sorry, but I would like you (laughs) to paint that picture for everyone as to how um, I wrangled you back in. So most people would know pro wrestling, like WWE, as children you know they would have might have watched it as kids with their family um on tv and yeah it's usually wwe um i was
1: very much i was very much watched. i watched wwe and we i wasn't allowed to watch it at my house
0: my mom was not
1: did not approve and to be fair i think the time that i would have been watching it i can imagine my feminist mother being like absolutely not uh and so yeah i watched it like friends houses and stuff really loved it and then kind of yeah like hit like 12 13 and was like um i like boys i have better things to be doing with my time um so stopped watching it didn't watch it all through high school didn't watch it for first probably five years out of high school four years out of high school and then came down to melbourne and met you at uni and i don't even actually remember how we got onto the conversation of it but uh there was some i think it was a probably some discussion of john cena (laughs) <laughs> most most likely, yeah, and yeah, I think we both were like, oh, you watch wrestling? I used to love wrestling, um, and I think that, yeah, started conversation of like how you were getting back into it. I think mm. I was yeah.
0: like,
1: oh shit, yeah, I should get back into it. And then yeah, I think we started watching it together.
0: Yeah, I think I was very much on that trajectory of us. Like I was very much back into the WWE universe again. I was like all in on that, um, but was still kind of exploring other international markets as well Mm. and yeah like local markets and stuff like that too but um, if I remember correctly I think it was because I like I always like my icebreaker because it just seems to like really freak people out when I'm like oh I'm an adult person who watches wrestling further to that I'm an adult woman who watches wrestling
1: Yeah, and I think it's a good conversation starter as well because you do then find people who go, oh, fuck, I used to love wrestling. Or there's people who have literally never watched it and are like, it's so foreign to me. Like, explain explain to me Mm. what it is or why you watch it. So I think, yeah, it's a good icebreaker, actually. I always leave it into conversation.
0: (laughs) I guess, like, as kids, the whole appeal is that there's these big characters, right? There's these, like, larger-than-life characters and it's usually a battle of good versus evil or something on that sort of... um, periphery what's what's the appeal do you think like as an adult fan
1: I've always really loved watching sport I find it really intriguing especially live sport I find it very compelling I guess and especially like when like games are really tight it's like a game of rugby or something if it's a really close match and the you know the teams are really good it's you know that builds that tension really well and so it's so enjoyable and then I think it's kind of the same thing but you add theatrics to it like because I think the standard of wrestling now especially is so athletic and so like actual like you can't say that people who do wrestling aren't athletes because it's insane um and because it's pre-scripted what like (laughs) but it's like because it's pre-scripted you can't really be like well like because this person's performing better they're going to win. You kind of never really know what's going to happen. Well, like, even though they do, which I find quite intriguing. Mm. Like, there's always, like, a little bit of mystery, even if you think it's the most obvious thing in the world. When that obvious thing happens, you're like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't think they'd actually do it. Mm. Like, Daniel Bryan winning both belts at Mania. You were like, surely it's going to happen. But you always have that voice in the back of your head that's like, no, they won't do it. WWE they never give you what you want and then he wins and you're like oh my god so I think yeah I think it's like partly the athletics and it's what hooked you when you were younger and it's like you still get it, there's just really nothing like it which I find quite intriguing
0: yeah for me I guess it's like because it's that amalgamation of sport and theater yeah and that's how most people I guess have come to learn what it is maybe through like glow for example a lot of people started taking to wrestling or being interested by it when glow first came out on netflix and especially women um and you mentioned as well when you were younger how it was this your feminist mother wasn't very happy about you watching it uh do you want to elaborate
1: well yeah i mean like in the early 2000s early to late 2000s obviously uh women weren't portrayed in a I don't want to say positive because that's not the right word, but they weren't uh, treated respectfully, I'd say. Um, I I, I only ever watched WWE. I wasn't really aware of anything else. So in WWE, women weren't really portrayed as smart or capable or, you know, they were always either like an evil, like femme fatale, like Trish Stratus played that so well. Or, you know, I guess like in my brain, the only one that kind of, Got away with it was Lita, but then she didn't because she ended up in that Edge Matt Hardy thing. Mm. So I think like it was like they were women were treated more as objects or um, sort of the visuals of wrestling rather than uh, equals to the men who were competing. And I think when you think like when we look back on some of the like the women wrestlers, they did have the capabilities. But they weren't really given the opportunity to. And so, yeah, I think like my mum was like, um you're like 10. I don't think I need you watching like a bra and panties match.
0: I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like, I guess I was maybe a few years ahead of you um, in that when I was in my obsessive phase, I was probably like 11, 12 when I was at my, my worst, like buying John Cena merch and all the rest of it. It was, yeah, 2008, 2009.
1: See, I was in high school then. I wasn't watching it anymore.
0: It was still the same though. Like the women's matches got like, what, maybe two minutes on a card of a like three hour pay-per-view, for example. And uh, yeah, there wasn't, I mean, the Playboy thing had just been a real prominent storyline where Snoop Dogg was around all the time for whatever reason. I hate wrestling.
1: <laughs> I think I think that's like kind of going back to the, what's appealing about an adult is actually like a nice little break from reality because you're watching it knowing that it's like, especially things like WWE and TNA and stuff, you know, that it's not one, not real. um, And two, it's just a little bit silly. And I think like, if you can suspend your kind of like belief in it being a serious thing.
0: Yeah. I think you and I get along watching wrestling on that level because we view it the same way, like aesthetically and for the storyline, we think it's a bit ridiculous but at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we don't truly invest in those, like, really intense grudge match scenarios or athletic contests as well.
1: It's, I think I very much compartmentalize, but, like, I kind of reserve my, like, serious, serious wrestling brain for, which is not a thing, for um, <laughs> New Japan matches. And then, like, the silly fun stuff is in WWE.
0: I would say the same but at the same time I know that when I watch Japanese wrestling I'm just like thirsty as all hell like (laughs) I think we need to talk about how horny wrestling is because I feel like that's not a conversation that people are having and we have every single time there's a pay-per-view on
1: every single time and especially when we watch Japanese wrestling
0: because Japanese
1: wrestling is way hornier it's way (laughs) hornier it's more homoerotic by far
0: I think there's two I think there's two sides to it for me I think there's like The homoeroticism, which is very true of all wrestling. Like, you know, generally you have men in tights and they're oiled up and yeah, they're just rolling around with each other. That's very homoerotic. And there's always these really like serious storylines of like protect your tag team partner and stuff.
1: Especially in Japan where they've like got these factions and they've got, like I was watching um, the video of Kenta when he joins the Bullet Club and like Shibata coming down and I, I was listening to it with the Japanese commentary and I was reading the subtitles. And I think I, I told, told you about this. And they were like, they're meant to be soulmates. How could he do this to his soulmate? And it's like...
0: I think that's the second layer for me is that there's it's the homoeroticism, but then there's the theatrical and, uh, I don't know, prestigious nature of it as well. It makes it so interesting as a Western viewer to watch. I guess I wanted to um, also talk about the move towards... Women's empowerment, um, and I'm using quotation marks because we know that it's kind of flawed in a lot of ways in wrestling, but maybe we'll just stick with WWE for now. Uh, For all that they've done well, there's a lot that they could do better as a brand and as a a wrestling company for their women. If we talk about the pros and cons of women's wrestling in the last like five years, what would you say they are?
1: Um, I think it's a funny thing actually because I think the NXT women's roster at the moment I'm trying to think of any other one but I genuinely think they have probably got the best women's roster in the world I think you'd be really hard pressed to beat it so I think the pro would probably be NXT's booking of the women I think has been really solid I'd be hard pressed to really point out many flaws but so yeah I think a, a pro is definitely the way that they've been booked in NXT I think in general giving them more time giving them a lot of firsts and the last five years has been good, you know, like your first Hell in a Cell, your first um, Extreme Rules, first Rumbles, um, stuff like that, uh, first Survivor Series. But I think the con to that then has been that it's been consistently the same women, which I get obviously you just do still have to build stars, but I think like Charlotte Flair, don't get me wrong, deserves every championship she's gotten. She's a phenomenal wrestler, but... I don't think, like, I think there's a point probably like two years ago where you didn't need to keep building Charlotte. We knew she was good. Like, it would have been nice to see someone else pushed into a good position. I, I love Becky Lynch. I reckon she's bloody great, but same kind of thing. I think she reached a point where it was cool she won the both belts, but then I don't think she needed to really keep being pushed after that. So, yeah, I think the con has just been that, like, yeah, you've got those four women who are, like, the mainstays of the women's roster and they're amazing, but you're kind of seeing no one else really progressing up to a point where they can compete with them. I think, like, a con has been that there's been no mid-card title. Um, I think rather than – don't get me wrong, having tag team belts is great, but I don't think they have proven as useful as a mid-card title could have been
0: like an IC title or something. When the whole women's revolution first, right? When that started, when uh, it was the Divas era still, and it was kind of Paige and Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, them and then Becky and Charlotte started to kind of filter through and the rest of them. I mean, I could sit here and name them all, right? But I feel like the the thing that I'm getting at here is that the commercial – success and the and the marketability of the women's revolution came from the fact that the big stars were usually white women. Yeah. And that's still something that lingers very much today in that your black stars and women who are people of color aren't getting those same opportunities at that level and that recognition.
1: I mean even like you see like the Japanese stars who came over and and this is again like the booking in NXT is
0: so consistently good with all women
1: i think and then they go up to the main roster and disappear Mm -hmm. like asuka who is i reckon one of the best women's wrestlers in the world easily smashed in nxt literally undefeated um comes up to the main roster and i really haven't seen her do anything that's been like career defining in wwe like. She can wrestle Charlotte Flair. She can wrestle Bayley. She like she's so good, but she's not having title reigns or anything like this. Like they are, um, Kyrie Sein as well, who's now left, but I did nothing on the main roster. I don't know where Bianca Belair has gone. Absolute pure athlete, just gone. It's definitely an issue of yeah. There's just there's no diversity being shown once they get to this main roster where they're being put in front of bigger crowds bigger audiences bigger tv numbers like if you asked someone who did is like a casual viewer they could probably only name you Sasha Becky Charlotte Bailey I keep doing it
0: that's always the one isn't it she's always the one that just drops off at the end she's so why. good she's on the run of her life at the moment but like that's that's the yeah you nail on their head like a casual viewer wouldn't be able to name any of the the other women on that in that company. And I think it's a reflection of broader issues. I know you said before wrestling's unlike anything else, but it is also very reflective, I think, of mainstream culture and what's happening in the world right now. And, you know, we saw that with the two thousands and the late nineteen nineties with uh, you know, just new metal was everywhere and it was dreadful. As much as the last few years I mean and I think it was for you and I at least as as you know young women who had grown up kind of watching this stuff to see more attention being given to the women in formats like you know tournaments and new titles and things like that was awesome but we're at the stage now where like that's not that's not enough that's not acceptable enough.
1: I don't want to be pandered to Mm. like it's great to see it's great to see progress and like I said it's great to see like they brought in women's tag titles I was like that's awesome but they haven't done anything with them so I'm like what was the point like don't just do something to make us happy Mm. actually put we want to see that you're investing in these people and these stories and this like invest as much time if you can put so much time into storylines like the pot plant with Dean Ambrose and Chris Jericho or like if you can like if you can invest time into a swamp fight between Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman and like think about how much time went into that, then how come you can't develop a reasonable feud between two women? It's mm. lazy and it's maybe like five years ago it would have been and it was, it was so amazing, like just the fact that women were getting given time. And it's why like as much as I am not a big Ronda R- Rousey fan, as you know it was still exciting because because she was there women did get put in the main event and women did get pushed as legitimate competitors um even though they already were but yeah it just I don't like being pandered to and I think you are similar in that way
0: yeah I think the thing that really made it clear to me like the moment that kind of broke it for me the illusion of we're in a women's evolution right now where things are changing. The Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville storyline, the fact that they like tried to manufacture like a gay storyline between the two of them who were best friends, but they kind of just gave up on it. It was like too hard.
1: Yeah, And now Mandy, who is a genuinely talented wrestler, is Otis's girlfriend.
0: Yeah. And hates Sonya. They have, they just like, women can't be friends. Sonya hates her because she's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's like and it
1: sounds so silly to say because she was such an over the top and ridiculous character but like it's why I loved Vicky Guerrero because she was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like and they did not. She was just a stone cold bitch, she did not. There was no redeeming qualities to her. There was no face turn. There was nothing. Like and they just fully were like, "Yeah, cool." You are allowed to be a villain as a woman, and it's not based in like a. It wasn't based in like she's jealous of another woman, or like Mm. she. Well, you know what I mean. Like it was just that she was just not a nice person, and they kind of really enjoyed that. Like they enjoyed that there was this like this woman that was just out for herself.
0: So AEW have kind of carved out their brand as the alternative to WWE, and whether. Whether they're achieving a lot of what they set out to do, you know, be the, the company that appeals to the audience that is disillusioned by WWE, I think they've achieved that. I think they've managed to attract that audience. However, I think the majority of that audience is still very male, is still very straight, is still very white. And I mean, you can't say that that's true of wrestling. Like it, I've had the argument thrown at me that oh, it's just because wrestling appeals to white straight people because it's like Hick City. But That's because people remember it for what it was when they were growing up, right? That 2000s era. Nyla Rose was their women's champ. She is a trans woman and a trans woman of color on top of that. And she cops so much abuse from fans because of her existence, right? As a woman in this women's division. And I think that kind of just says it pretty loud and clear that companies as a whole maybe could do a lot more to combat, you know, racism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism in their fan bases. But we could also say that, I I don't know, it's like, is it the responsibility of fans to do that? Is it the responsibility of companies to foster that culture?
1: I think it's kind of both because I think while I do think AEW, you know, there is still a lot that could be done, not to just pinpoint them, but I do think they've done a much better job than somewhere like WWE. Like I, I think I remember quite early on they like banned a few people from their shows and stuff because they were, like, yelling out awfully transphobic stuff while Nyla was having a match. Um, and I think they've been quite supportive in the way of, like, they put the title on her and made her and have built her to look like a fucking threat, like, against mm. anyone. Like, she's a scary woman to be in the ring against. Um, so I think they've done a good job in the way of, like, not really addressing it in the way that, like, it doesn't need to be, she doesn't need to be sold on the fact that she's a trans woman. It just so happens that she is a trans woman. And I think they've done quite a good job of just, it just, yeah, that's just the way it is. It's nothing to kick a big fuss about. That being said, I think there probably needs to be a greater message to fans that that behavior isn't tolerated and those comments on Instagram and stuff aren't tolerated, but it is still a hard thing to.
0: Yeah, we all carry that burden of making wrestling a better place for everyone. Yeah, Um, a safe
1: space for everyone, I think. Like a (laughs) space where people just can enjoy themselves, especially because wrestling is such a left field thing in itself. Like it's not a very mainstream thing, even though WWE is huge. It's not. It's not a very mainstream thing. So it should be, you'd think like similar to kind of like your like punk rock and stuff. It should be like that space where it's very inclusive. It's very everyone welcome. Everyone, you know, you be you, I'll be me. And it's not as much as WWE still does have obviously the monopoly. um, It's not just WWE anymore. There's so much out there for anyone, like whatever you like. There's something, do you like really hardcore wrestling? Cool. There's something there for you. Do you like, you know, like me, do you like watching people get kicked in the head real hard? Cool. Go watch New Japan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the movement kind of towards people wanting to see younger talent, fresher faces, new styles, that change in aesthetic will hopefully open more doors to people who aren't the same people we've seen on our screens for the last 10, 15 years, longer, probably Um I guess like the proliferation of like on-demand services now mean that you can watch your favorite company in the UK that seats like fifty to a hundred people, and you can watch the stories that they put on and the sort of talent that they have there in in a diversity sense. And you can be like, oh, wow, the wrestling world is actually a lot bigger than I realized watching it as a kid on my screen. And it was Randy Orton breaking into Triple H's house. Or was it the other way around? It was Triple H breaking into Randy's house, wasn't it? With his with Randy Orton's fake wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was screaming in the background. Triple H had his sledgehammer and they just stare at other. They just like lock eyes in a really gay way for a good five seconds. Randy yeah. Orton
1: had like a shirt that's like 14 sizes too big for him on.
0: I would like to say that the more you kind of move away from the bigger products and start checking out smaller products that have a bit more, you know, um, of build around them, more more so than like maybe just your local in the country town that sits like 100 people type thing. But, you know, yeah, I would like to think that as you start moving away from the bigger products and checking out smaller companies, there is a lot more attention to detail in how to protect patrons and how to look after patrons and how to, um, also just like tell authentic stories with representation. And, you know, I think there's some companies that do that really well already. Um, but as we've seen, I guess with like the speaking out movement, there's been a lot of like, uh, disappointment for me, at least come to the surface about companies, even as close to home, like local companies that aren't doing the basic thing of protecting their workers and protecting their fans. Um, I think it's a whole culture
1: shift that needs to happen though. And and I mean more broadly than just in the wrestling community. Cause I think um, almost like parallel to this happening in the wrestling industry, there's obviously a lot going on in the music industry at the moment, Yeah, especially in Australia. Um, that's very similar to the speaking out movement to steal a really cliched phrase, but it's kind of like waiting for that like time's up moment to kind of like, but for it to actually be real and not just a a slogan, not to, not to disparage that movement. But yeah, I think it's just a broadly, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't all be, you know, taking steps to make changes where we can, but I think until there's a broader cultural shift, it's hard to kind of implement stuff without broader support.
0: Yeah, well, that's it, right? Um- The thing about wrestling, I guess, is just there's no union. There's no like governing body that we can go to. And music is hard to govern as well. So if we look at that like in a holistic way, it's yeah, it's about the culture of arts and entertainment and sport, even if we were to go to that. Bronco Busters would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which these interviews and stories are recorded throughout the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We also extend this acknowledgement to the traditional owners of the various lands on which our guests reside. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Colonial violence is ongoing and the fight for justice resides with each of us. To hear and read more from the women and queer people of pro wrestling, head to our website, bronco-busters.com, for more stories and transcripts. You can keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at broncobustersAUNZ. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.